keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shootings, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Actually, I was listening uh, to Glenn Beck, believe it or not, yesterday, who was talking about Lyndon Johnson, the last voice we heard on there, saying that uh, he was trying to outdo FDR. And uh, he was a, uh, a good man, except for the war in Vietnam. He wanted to carry on the Democratic Party tradition. And for the most part, he really did it. And uh, now where are Democrats to go? Traditional, liberal, progressive Democrats. Progressives were tremendously united and uniquely excited to get behind the candidacy of Bernie Sanders. But as might have been expected, the player did not get a touchdown his first time on the presidential playing field. So what's a progressive or a liberal, which is a term I frankly prefer, What's it liberal to do? The Democratic Party nominee, Hillary Clinton, has, let's face it, problems of trustworthiness. The party, in fact, rigged the nominating process for her. Many are concerned about her hawkishness and her coziness with Wall Street. On the other hand, Donald Trump is, as our guest today writes, a narcissistic, violent, lying, racist, misogynistic, ultranationalist bully. End of quote. What's a progressive to do? Write in Bernie Sanders, vote for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. Michael Albert is our guest today, and he is a founder and current member of the staff of Z Magazine. Michael, thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you for having me. His political involvement, starting a long time ago in the 1960s, continued to the present, have ranged from local regional and national organizing projects and campaigns to co-founding South End Press and Z Magazine. Michael Albert is the author of 21 books. Most recently, these include Fanfare for the Future, Remembering Tomorrow, Realizing Hope, and Paracon, Life After Capitalism. Many of uh, Albert's articles are stored at Zcom and can be accessed there along with hundreds of other Z Magazine and Z Net articles, essays, and interviews, etc. Well, again, Michael Albert, thanks for being with us. What is the purpose of the article you co-wrote for progressives thinking about the election? What were you trying to accomplish by putting out this article? Well, there's a debate going on. Uh, actually, there are, I guess, a lot of debates going on, but one of them is about... Uh, an appropriate or a good or a desirable reaction to the choice between uh, Clinton and Trump, and as well, Stein, um, and how one might best relate to that. And the article was an attempt to 
I guess you could say, calmly uh, look at all the issues, uh, try and examine uh, the, the most compelling cases that people are putting forward uh, to arrive at uh, perhaps an agreeable solution. And it would be nice if uh, liberals could do that. And I had an old friend, uh, Abby Hoffman, who used to say that the relationship between the right and the left is perfect. The right is sadistic. The left tends to be masochistic, tearing ourselves apart. Uh, pretty much everybody knows that Trump is as you described. I mean, that's, that's a really, that's exactly who he is. But different people have different impressions of who Hillary Clinton is. You have a couple of observations, seemingly contradictory. On one hand, you say Hillary Clinton is a leading representative of the neoliberal wing of the capitalist class. Uh, and then you go on to say she, uh, well, th that she is uh, more liberal in many ways. But before we go farther, I, we need to define the term the neoliberal wing of the capitalist class. What, would you do that, please? Um, I think maybe the easiest way to think about this is that uh, capitalists um, and elites of all kinds don't agree about everything. So they have disputes, too. And uh, actually, the Republican and the Democratic Party sort of exist because of that and to deal with that. They're a mechanism by which elites um, can dispute their differences, uh, try and uh, generate support for their relative positions, and proceed. In a sense, they're two wings of one party. Right. Um, the party is the party of elites, the party of owners, uh, and and the disputes that, that those owners and elites have about how best to administer the system mm. that serves them right. um, on behalf of them um, are, are battled out in some sense in that in view. Uh, this can even exist within a party. So if you take first the Republican Party, um, there can be differences there. Um, That's for sure. And we see uh, whereas uh, they might on balance, have a more similar view to each other than the Democratic Party, um, they can still have differences. And different candidates arise pursuing differences. I mean, sometimes it's just different candidates pursuing their own personal uh, desires to, to win. Uh, but <laughs> sometimes there are real differences, modest, uh, but to them important to hassle through. Same thing on the Democratic side. The, it's not a word that I really use often. It's a, uh, a drift more toward um, markets uh, regulating, um, reduced government involvement, uh, kind of a tilting toward, even further toward, uh, the interests of the most powerful and mm -hmm. the most rich. You could yes. think of it that way if you like. Yeah. Um, the Democratic Party has at times also included uh, people who, while... Uh, acting on behalf of the overall system tilted much more toward uh, less powerful, less rich components of it. Back in a long time ago, when I was much younger, uh, you could make a case for George McGovern yes. uh, being a candidate like that. Yes. Um, Ted Kennedy. Uh, now, clearly, uh, Bernie Sanders is a candidate like that. Yeah. And perhaps even going considerably further, um, Clinton is much more mainstream inside the Democratic Party, um, strong, uh, or at least um, less bad uh, than most other uh, 
examples on issues of race and gender. Uh, not good by any means, uh, not by the standards that I would have, but less mm-hmm. bad. Um, but quite bad on issues of international relations uh, and basically what people like to refer to as Wall Street interests. Yes. Uh, that is the interest of the most rich and the most powerful. Uh, so she's she's nothing to write home about. Uh, but it's important to understand that an election like this isn't an election just between two candidates. It's just Trump and Clinton. It's what Trump brings to office and to the country and what Clinton brings to office and to the country. She brings more of the same. He brings a step off the ledge into something quite frightening, yes. uh, to tell you the truth, something of which I have not seen anything like uh, in my adult <laughs> and we hope we never see again. Yeah, my goodness gracious. And a, a friend of mine uh, put it this way, that, you know, if you have a choice between Hitler and Nixon, it's a pretty easy choice. <laughs> and I think he's taught, you know, Hitler, that's obviously Trump is not Hitler particularly. I mean, he's not going to do what that guy did. But he's really crazy and really scary. And there could be, you know, gangs of thugs going around like Hitler had. And Nixon was not, you know, particularly trusted. He was known to lie. Uh, but compared to the two, it's an easy choice, really. I find it interesting that, that you also write of her uh, record in the U.S. Senate when she was a U.S. senator from the state of New York. Quote, Clinton was one of the more liberal Democrats in the Senate. What? That doesn't seem to fit with the picture that people have nowadays. Oh, <clears throat> not exactly sure to tell you the truth why uh, there's the intense hatred for her relative to other Democrats. I, I don't particularly see much difference. She used to be hated much more, say, than her husband. I can see more reasons for that. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that I like either one of them. I don't. Right. Uh, they are essentially um, candidates, representatives of a constituent. See, the rich and the powerful who yes. are trying to maintain the system on behalf of the rich and the powerful. Yes. I'm not interested in that. I want a whole new system. I go considerably further than Sanders has gone uh, in anything that he has said. That, but even so, um, I can, without much difficulty, see the difference between her and Trump. Yeah. I also see the different situation that the country would be in with her and Trump. One part of that is... Uh, Trump's presidency would hurt various constituencies in ways that oh. she would not. Um, yeah. It would also, I, sus- I suspect, I would argue, be worse around uh, international relations because of his, his constituencies and his inclinations. It would be far worse around things like global warming. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's, there's another dimension. Uh, let's say you're a Sanders voter or a Sanders supporter. Yeah. Well, Sanders is talking about revolutionizing American politics. Sanders is talking about changing the the uh, balance uh, between serving the 1% and serving the 99%. He's talking about yeah. real democracy, real participation. Yeah. Okay, fight for those things uh, is very, very important and should continue. To continue, yes, absolutely. Which will which presidency will enable that fight better? Right. So my thinking, if Trump to be president, the fight that would go on—that is, 
the resistance, the effort by progressive people uh, to win better conditions would be a fight against going backwards. It would be a fight against Trump and against Trump's policies. And by and large, it would seem to most people that that effort, that struggle, all those energies really would lead toward what? A Democrat, a Clinton. Uh, it would be kind of um, seeking the sanity that existed before Trump's insanity. <laughs> On the other hand, if Clinton is president, all energy and effort of the Sanders campaign would continue yes. to battle for yes. a new system, a new way of operating. Right. Opposition to Clinton would be to go beyond Clinton, the Democrats, and the Republicans. It's a very different kind of situation. So there's two reasons to prefer her becoming president. One is it would hurt people much less. Yeah. The and the the dangers that are uh, that would be imminent would be much less. And the second reason is because the battle against her administration would be far more positive and far more hopeful, have far more chance of yielding real, real, really desirable outcomes. There's the platforms, which people say, oh, what's the platform? The platform doesn't mean anything. You know, the platform is put together through a lot of effort, uh, and then it's ignored. But... People have questioned, are there substantial differences in the party platforms, whether they're powerful or not? Are, are there more similarities than there are differences? Are, some have suggested that the differences between uh, the Trump platform and the Clinton platform are more cosmetic than real. What's your reaction to that? Well, again, the issue isn't uh, simply who's in office, and we passively watch that. And so we endure whatever it is that they wish to impose on us and that they feel that they can get away up, get away with on behalf of the rich and powerful. The issue is what can we, uh, we meaning the population, uh, and in this case the, the Sanders um, component, I guess you might say, of the population, battle to win. And with uh, Clinton, what you try to battle with to win is serious, really serious, uh, attention to global warming, serious efforts um, to address, albeit in the short run, not overwhelmingly, income distribution, um, serious efforts, and we could go on and list more things. With Trump, what you battle is not to move forward from where we currently are, but to prevent moving uh, incredibly backward. Are there differences in their platforms? Yes. Uh, does the platform bind the party? No. It represents a kind of a, of a Rorschach test, if you will, of arguably what is best in the party. What's best in the party, in the Republican Party, is absolutely grotesque, uh, even what is best. Uh, so the platform just denies that global warming even exists, um, and, and one can go on from there. Uh, in the Democratic Party, the best is, well, it's Sanders. Uh, various people who yep. are lining up with Sanders. Isn't that my idea of the kind of orientation that we need to create a new society? No, it falls short of that. Right. But it's vastly better. And so what's good about, what's helpful about the effort by people to win a better platform is that one can point to it. So right. when you're battling against a Clinton administration, you can point to the platform, right. and you can try to 
uh, round support for it and for going beyond it. And that's admirable. In the case of the Republican side, you have to point to the platform and oppose it. Um, There's nothing in there that you can Hmm. take as the basis for going further. Um, $15 an hour minimum income on the Democrat side, that's nothing to get overly excited about unless you're earning $7 an hour. (laughs) And it really is a very significant change. It matters. Is it enough? No. Uh, But it's a basis for then uh, continuing on and going further, and the same with many other aspects of the contending platforms. No question about it. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is Michael Albert, uh, founder and current member of the staff of Z Magazine. We're talking about a uh, fairly lengthy article, and uh, the question is, for pro- what what progressives uh, can do about the election this time? What What is reasonable? What is the best thing to do? There's various different options. And one concern, you know, about do less harm. American workers were clearly dealt a blow with President Bill Clinton's free trade agreements. A great many jobs were sent overseas in a race to the bottom where companies could pay a heck of a lot less and didn't have environmental or work safety standards. Is it possible that Trump, who says he opposes such agreements, might actually be better for the formerly middle class and working class than Hillary Clinton on the trade issue? I don't think so. Uh, I see just no reason to believe that. Are there people who are supporting Trump because they are looking around at their lives and at society, and they feel like they've been ignored, uh, they've been uh, dismissed, and they've been hurt, yes, uh, working people. Yes. Uh, so there are many working people who are supporting Trump for reasons like that, and it's quite understandable. They have a very, very legitimate grievance, even if we don't go to where I would go, which is to say, look, this whole system is stacked against them. Even without a crisis, what's called a crisis, a banking collapse, um, an increase on unemployment, when it's operating at its best, it's still stacked against working people. It's still the case that working people are are working longer, harder, and at worse conditions than people who earn 10, 20, 50, and 1,000 times as much as they do. Right. There's nothing just about that. There's nothing equitable about it. So even at its best, the system we live under is unfair, unjust, inequitable. Okay, that said, some... Some small steps in the present on the way, hopefully, to much bigger steps in the future, but some small steps in the present make a difference for people. Uh, To go to a $15 minimum wage makes a difference for people. Then to go up to 20 or 25 makes more difference for people. Then to go to remunerating people for the onerousness of the conditions under which they work and how long they work and how hard they work and not for power or for output, or for property, that would be a very, very big difference. That's the kind of difference I would like to see. But there are steps uh, yes. in the present that matter. Yes. And the, the idea that a billionaire who makes believe that he is sort of like a working-class person, right. that's what Trump's doing. Yes. It harkens back all the way to Spyro Agnew. <laughs> what he's doing when he decries political correctness, when he decries um, academic um, formulations, 
when he tries to talk down home, when he tries to act down home. What he's doing is he's masquerading as a buddy of the people he employs. In fact, he's the boss of the people he employs, and he treats them like dirt. Oh, yes. That's less visible. Yeah. So it's a smart approach by Trump. Yeah. Uh, but we shouldn't be fooled by it. So if we want to bring Jobs back here, his approach, well, as he talked about more specifically in his alleged economic plan, it, it's just, you know, whatever shred of democracy we may have left, he would turn it into a flat-out total plutocracy, you know, just giving it all to the super-rich and powerful. Now, one of the big things that progressives, liberals, are concerned about with Hillary Clinton is, frankly, her hawkishness. It bothers me greatly. I see her as the biggest hawk Democratic presidential candidate since Scoop Jackson in 1972. Not only did she vote for the war in Iraq, but she helped overthrow the democratically elected government in Honduras in 2009 and pretty much single-handedly initiated the war in Libya, which even the Pentagon cautioned against. They they preferred to negotiate, but she pushed real hard for a war there, and it's a human catastrophe. Libya is now a breeding ground for ISIS. Traditional liberals are not pro-war. Isn't Clinton far more likely to pursue wars than Donald Trump? Just on that issue, what what's your response to that? Well, look, everything you say about Clinton is true. Um, all these things are true, um, just as they're true of every other president uh, that has occupied the Oval Office in the United States. The United States is a country which uses war um, as, a, as a vehicle uh, for pursuing, uh, aggrandizing the rich and powerful, and it does it over and over again. Um, so that much is true. I quite agree with you. Uh, but it isn't because of an individual. It isn't because of who is sitting in the Oval Office. It's because the whole system is still oriented in that fashion. And so what's the role of the person in the Oval Office? Well, they are a emissary of that system. No matter who's there, whether it's Clinton or somebody from the Republican side, much less Donald Trump, they are going to reflexively be part of a hawkish operation, a hawkish, uh, a hawkish establishment. So now the question is, what kind of opposition exists to put restraints on that, or better yet, to reverse that? What kinds of movements will operate? Will they just be operating against the insanity of Trump using nuclear weapons? In other words, against going literally off the rails, yeah. which is what one has to fear with Trump. Yeah. Or will they be operating against these typical kind of corporate elite uh, warmongering, uh, we can legitimately call it, I think, yeah. um, uh, that that has characterized the United States for centuries and certainly for the last 50 years. Um, the latter is better, not because that kind of warmongering is good. Of course, it is despicable. But because having Trump have his hand on the nuclear weapon or having Trump um, be the person who sits in those meetings and sort of ramps up fervor and craziness is not a good idea. Um, is this the area where the biggest difference exists between the two of them? No, I don't think so, because I think this is the area where, hmm. contrary to popular beliefs, the president probably 
has less rather than more power. Where they have more power is on domestic issues where there are constituencies uh, that are pushing hard. So in any case, whichever yeah. one gets elected, mm-hmm. we need movements that are pushing for really good outcomes, not movements that are trying to block uh, a, 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 a swift rush to worse. Yeah. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the the kind of apparatus, the kinds of people who are associated with um, Clinton, when we say they're horrible, what we are pointing to, nine times out of ten, is ones that are shared with Republicans. Uh, on the Republican side, yeah. those are the best on the Republican side, and the worst move much further to the right and much further toward warmongering. On the Clinton side, those are the worst, and the best are better. Uh-huh. Um, great? No, but better. Uh, so that's the choice. Now, is that choice enough to cause you to vote for Clinton? Well, it wouldn't cause me to vote for her in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is a safe state. Yeah. There's no way I would vote for Clinton in a safe state. But in a contested state, in a state where your vote is, is a factor, a real factor in whether or not Trump or Clinton becomes president, there, yes, it would be enough to cause me to vote for Clinton. It takes 10 minutes. Those 10 minutes are better spent warding off Trump than anything else you can do with them in a contested state. Which, of course, brings up, you know, the idea of fear, fear being manipulated. Fear is powerful. I mean, FDR knew how powerful fear was. We're talking a lot, it seems, about the fear of Donald Trump, which is quite legitimate. It's just, the guy is just beyond belief. Is that, I mean, to, to take my right hand, the one I write with, and move it up to put an X next to Hillary Clinton, there's, you know, frankly, it's not a lot of enthusiasm. Is it just fear of Trump that does it? Or is there some, my sense is there is some positive good in having Hillary Clinton as president. It leaves, as, as I think you were describing, the possibility of public pressure being able to work. You know, and, and yeah, but, uh, go ahead. But that's not because we like Clinton. Right. I think there's something really positive about, or I, it's not because I like Clinton. I think there's something quite positive about a woman being president. I don't understand why that has disappeared. Um, it's as if people can't, can't say, I reject Clinton, I reject the Democratic Party, I want a new system. But I also understand that given what we have, it's better to have Clinton than Trump. It's better to have a, uh, it's a good thing, relatively speaking, to have a woman uh, become president of the United States. I can say all those things. I don't have any problem with it. It doesn't make me less um, uh, uh, hostile toward, critical of, uh, the economic and social system that we endure here in the U.S. Uh, I assure you, I'm more critical of that than... Uh, <laughs> than in support. Than uh, but, but now fear, Yeah, there's nothing wrong with fear. There's something wrong with the system that makes you afraid. It doesn't make any sense to confront a fearful situation and say um, fear is the wrong reaction. What it makes sense to say is the system that causes fear to be the right reaction is a bad system. And that's true. And so Trump is a bad candidate, and so is Clinton. I'm afraid of Clinton, too. Just not as afraid of her 
as I am of Trump. Mm. I'm not as afraid of the Democratic Party as I am of the Republican Party. One is worse than the other. That's all we're saying. If we're saying what would be positive, well, if, if Bernie Sanders had become the candidate, and if Bernie Sanders was running for president, and if Bernie Sanders didn't um, um, ameliorate and moderate his positions, but instead took them even more firmly, then I at least, and probably you, yeah. um, could have gone into the voting booth and checked off his name with a sense of positive, you know, excitement. Uh, maybe it would be short of everything we want, but still we would be positive and excited about it. You're right. If I was in a contested state and I had to click on Hillary Clinton's name as my vote, I'd probably be nauseous. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, it, yes, but that isn't a reason not to do it. Right. No, that's a good. That's a good point. And you know, you can't have everything at once. And there also, you know, the president is an easy symbol. We have a head of state and head of government in one person, which I think personally is problematic. But it's the entire Congress. It's the House and the Senate and the governor's races and the state reps and state senators. That's, you know, we can't, I think it's wrong personally to just focus on the president. It's not a king it's, it's, or a queen. It's, you know, the, the head of this, but we have to keep up the pressure in many, many different ways. And if there is, in fact, a Democratic majority in Congress, which would be lovely, then uh, we can get a lot done with this president. It's about pressure in the streets. Franklin Roosevelt certainly knew this when he talked to uh, A. Philip Randall of the Pullman Porters Union when he wanted to end discrimination based on race. And But he said, you got to go out there and make me do it. And we still have that. There's still that possibility. And so you think that the, the gender uh, of, of the next president, probably Hillary Clinton, still does matter, and it's a, it's a good move forward. I, I tend to uh, think so. I mean, I can think of other women I'd rather have. Sure, I do think it's a move forward. I, I, and I think it will matter to a lot of, in particular, young boys and girls. Um, that's who true. See it and who will uh, be affected by it. So I think that's a good thing. Do I think that's the only good thing? No. no. If if Clinton, well, Clinton against Sanders, I supported Sanders. Oh, yeah. I felt that Clinton being a woman was at, was a plus. Um, and a plus that Sanders doesn't have. He's a man. But nonetheless, on balance, I would have, uh, I, I did support Sanders. And if Sanders, if it was Sanders against Clinton for president, I would support Sanders for president. Oh, I see. Uh, so it's a factor. It's just not the only, the only factor. Well, one factor that matters to a lot of people, it seems more and more, when I was at the uh, Democratic Convention recently, there was a very impressive showing of support for human rights for Palestinians. And on this issue of Palestinians, Hillary Clinton has actually called for increased, I believe, military aid to the government of Netanyahu, a horrible government. Who is worse on Palestine, Clinton or Trump? Do we? I don't even have any idea where Trump stands. Yeah, see, but that's an important point. The same people who say there is no reason to believe uh, what candidates say, then take what candidates say and try and extrapolate it into arguments. Um, and that's a bit loose. What you can believe about a candidate is when they say something and there's a long history and there's a constituency behind them and and we can continue on. Um, so, for instance, let's say Trump says he's for, um, uh, you know, he's against gun control. 
Well, I believe that. Why do I believe that? There's a long history. Yeah. His his supporters and his constituency are very strong on that issue. Um, he he is manifesting a truth there. I think when he says certain other things, you can see him shift from issue to from you know from yeah. statement to statement to statement. Sometimes in as short as a few hours. Yeah. What's going on? He's trying to find a way to win. Uh, so some things are believable and some things aren't. On the Palestinians, um, you know, Clinton's horrible, Trump's horrible. Um, there is a growing um, uh, constituency, I guess you could call it, inside the Democratic Party who is less horrible. Yeah. But again, the real issue is pressure from without. Yes. Um, you know, it's one thing, if Sanders said... Uh, about um, uh, fighting for a much higher uh, minimum wage, I need to be pushed. I would probably believe, I, I think I would believe, that he was saying, look, I want to do this, but I need lots and lots of pressure to get it done. That's how it works. That's one kind of statement. Um, where the person wants to do it, the person agrees, you're not convincing them, you're not even forcing them, you're providing them support in something that jointly everybody wants to do. There's another kind of situation, however, uh, which is far more often the case with official and elite candidates and office holders and the like. And that is that they don't want what you want. Um, They may say they do momentarily to get votes, but they don't want it, really. Mm -hmm. They really represent other interests who don't want it. So regarding Palestinians, regarding redistribution of wealth, regarding uh, um, all manner of, of issues, neither Trump nor uh, Clinton want those things. And so to get those things isn't a matter of sort of giving them the power to push right. through what they're seeking. Right. It is forcing them to do something that they do not want to do, and that is against their will. And that's the kind of movements that we need. Um, not movements that sort of try to educate the candidate. Forget about that. Movements that try to force the candidate or the office holder or the owner of the company that you work for. When you're trying to strike against a corporation to get higher wages, you don't sort of write a position paper to try and convince the owner that he really wants to give you higher wages. He doesn't, and he's not going to want to. You have to force him to do it. That's so true. that's what movements need to be about, and that's the kind of movement we would need in either case. But in the case of Trump, you need a movement to prevent absolute and total catastrophic reversion to the past, <laughs> or even to a non-existent past. And in Clint, in Clinton's case, you'd need a movement to certainly to prevent horrible outcomes, but also to push toward much better outcomes. It's very, very different. And that is the way history works, and that's one reason I love history, is they can learn so much from it rather than reinventing it each and every day. Movements on the streets, it works. We still have a little bit of democracy. It can it can work. Look, we, the, the Democratic Party did not want uh, uh, Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, didn't want him to be powerful, but guess what? The people did it themselves and, and created this huge new movement, scared the heck out of the party establishment, and it's still there. There's still millions of people, especially young people, who are going to push for this stuff. It isn't over, not by a long shot. 
If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, I'm Bert Cohen. Our guest today is Michael Albert, founder and current member of the staff of Z Magazine. We're talking about an article he wrote for progressives thinking about the election. Now, I've heard some liberals and people on the left argue that it might be better for us on the left if Trump wins. Hear me out here. Instead of a neoliberal sucking the life out of the progressive movement and lessening the chances of development of a real political alternative, we'd have a clear enemy, which is better for organizing. A Trump victory, they proclaim, will lead to the complete collapse of the established order and finally open the door to genuine reform. Your response, Michael. Well, I honestly, I understand people saying it. People have been saying it for decades and decades and decades. It's just that it's never true. Right. What actually happens is when you get somebody much worse, um, your struggle is to get back to the remembered <coughs> relative sanity of the past. In other words, <coughs> I'm sorry, pardon me. Uh, with Trump, uh, there is no sort of leap past the Democratic Party to, uh, to, yeah, a, to a, uh, a Sanders or better. Yeah. There is instead a path uh, that at the very best goes from Trump back to mainstream Democratic Party. Um, mm-hmm. That's what would happen. Mm-hmm. And it might take four years. So now you have four years of suffering under Trump. And it might take eight years, mm. in which case you have eight years. And it might not even be possible for far, far longer if... Trump succeeded in reconstructing and reorienting the various structures in the country. So no, I don't I don't think that makes any sense and I think there's a degree honestly of callousness in it. Um callousness yeah, in true. the sense of saying, well, okay, all you people who are going to suffer far more um with this approach to change um go back to the worst and hope that you will leap to something much better. All you people who are going to suffer, well, that's just too damn bad. Uh, you just go ahead and suffer because I have my eyes on, 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 on the benefit down the road. Well, the benefit isn't there, and there's an element of callousness in it, I think, towards those people who would suffer. And there's an easy way to see this. Imagine you work in a, in a big company. Uh, uh, if you want Walmart with horrible conditions for workers and, and low wages for workers and so on. Um, there's no organizer at Walmart, and there never has been and never will be, who would get up in front of the union or in front of fellow workers and say, look, what we need to do is to get the worst leadership for Walmart that we can, get the, the most reactionary um, member of the family or whatever, the Walmart family in there, and have them do the worst proposals ever, have them reduce the minimum wage, have them... Uh, you know, speed up work, have them do mm. all these things, and then we'll we'll win a better company, and we'll win a better economy. It's nonsense. Yeah. You don't say, well, hey, uh, the war in Vietnam is bad, but why, let's have them nuke them. Let's have them use nukes. <laughs> right. Because if they use nukes, then everybody will go berserk and will we'll leap to peace forever. <sighs> it's just not true. Uh-huh. And it's transparently not true. And it's incredibly callous. Uh, so, no, I don't think that that is a sensible reaction to the existing situation. Um, mm. And it, there's, a, there's a last element of it, which is very disturbing to me, which is basically 
we organizers who are responsible um, and taking responsibility for trying to improve society, we need help from the devil. We need, uh, we, we can't communicate with people based on reason. We can't communicate with people based on our values, based on our vision of a better future. Instead, we have to sort of uh, have them beaten nearly to death yeah. and then made angry, and then maybe we can corral them to our cause. Well, it's not the truth. What's going to happen in that case is the cause they're corralled to is getting back to a degree of sanity. Hmm. Um, the, the, the same task would remain for us after a hiatus of going backwards. Uh, it's not a strategy. <laughs> no, it's incredibly callous, as you say, just amazingly so. Um, and a lot of liberals say, oh, I'm just tired of having to vote for the lesser of two evils. You know, it's a, it's a word, it's a phrase I've heard my entire life. You've got to vote for the lesser of two evils. You have a term which I'll ask you to define, strategic lesser evil voting. What do you mean by that? Well, you vote for the lesser of two evils where it really matters. You don't do it where uh, it's a safe state. So if you live in a state that Donald Trump's going to win handily, and there's no question about that, you vote for whoever you want. Uh, you don't have to vote for Clinton because Clinton's going to lose, and your vote's meaningless, and you know it's meaningless, and everybody knows it's meaningless. And so you vote for Stein, or or you write in Sanders, or you do whatever it is you do. Maybe you don't vote at all. That's fine. Uh, if you live in a state where Clinton's going to win handily, like Massachusetts, yeah. um, again, there's no necessity or no reason particularly to vote for Clinton. You don't need to pad her vote. You can vote for Stein or not vote or write in Sanders or, again, whatever it is that um, you, know, you prefer to do yeah. uh, to express yourself. Strategic lesser evil voting means you vote the lesser evil uh, in a contested state where it might matter. But let me address the, the first part of what you had to say, which was a lot of people say, I'm sick of voting the lesser evil. Well, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so am I. So, so what does that prove? Nothing. It, it doesn't prove anything, then the person might say, well, voting the lesser evil hasn't changed society right. to a really desirable, worthy um, place. That's true. But then again, voting the lesser evil never claimed to be a, a, a path in and of itself to that. It simply claims to be a path to trying to prevent going backwards, not to accomplishing at the moment going forwards a lot. So electing Clinton instead of Trump is not creating a vastly better society than we have right now. It's rather sort of the society we have now continues unless we go on to make it better. Okay, fine. Um, but now let's take something else. If you say, as many leftists now do, well, we've been voting the lesser evil for decades. Right. Actually, it's not true because most, uh, most leftists only vote the lesser evil at most in contested states. Um, so it isn't even true, but let's say it was true. Uh, and we haven't gotten a better society. That is, uh, I mean, a much better society. That is certainly true. Yeah. And so therefore we reject voting for the lesser evil or voting for the lesser evil strategically because it hasn't won yet. It hasn't won a new world. Um, well, by that logic, we'd have to reject everything. We'd have to reject striking. We'd have to we'd have to reject third parties. None of that has won a new society yet either. 
You lose, you lose, you lose, you win. It, ultimately, you have to win a new society along the way. There are victories, there are setbacks, there are going forwards, etc. Um, it, again, is an argument which just isn't thought through. Um, the, the basic statement, I'd rather not have to vote for a lesser evil, I'd rather be able to vote yeah. for Bernie Sanders, or if you prefer for Noam Chomsky or whatever. Right. Uh, sure, I agree. Uh, but now, in the world that we currently inhabit and that we will inhabit next November, you have to choose from among the options that are really there and then move <laughs> on to create new options. And it's true that even if Bernie Sanders won, there would still be a tremendous amount of work to do. It's not just one person. And Bernie said that. You know, it's not me, it's, not me, yeah. it's us. And th- you have to do it in all different ways, electorally, culturally, you know, things in your neighborhood. It, 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 there's no one person going to fix it all. Although a of lot of not, um, he's quite right. He he was very forthright in saying that, and in saying that what you needed in addition to uh, winning the presidency was street heat. What you needed is demonstrations. What you needed is grassroots organization and the development of programs. So he's very unusual in saying those yes, things. Yes. Almost unique, actually. Yeah. Uh, but of course, it's true. Just think about it for a minute. Imagine Sanders won. Let's not even make it Sanders. Let's make it a person who manifests the most revolutionary and creative and intelligent values and institutional aspirations one can think of. Okay, so that person becomes president of the United States. The police are still the same police they were the day before. The governors are the same governors. The senators are the same senators. The mayors are the same mayors. The people who own all the corporations are the same people who they were the day before. The population now, hopefully, has moved considerably leftward as a result of the campaign in which that person won. So what has to happen? That population has to, in this case, um, provide that president with the support um, to fight the battle against all those other reactionary elements, all those other elements trying to preserve the present, not necessarily go backwards, but preserve the president, the present, uh, in order to win a better future. Okay, fine. Uh, that's what's necessary. That's true. Uh, that's what we have to be about. So right now, in fact, all Sanders supporters are agitated about the issue of uh, voting Clinton or not. Um, that is occupying the minds of yeah. hundreds of thousands, even millions of people, um, perhaps even tens of millions of people, who uh, who desire to see Bernie Sanders as president. Now, the thing is, that's a 10-minute, that's a decision about 10 minutes of activity. Hmm. Um, what do you do when you enter the polling booth? Right. And yet people are spending incredible amounts of time um, agitating about that. Um, including myself, for instance, writing the document that you just, you know, that you've been referring to. Uh, that's misplaced. Hmm. What, really what should be going on is that it should take us 20 minutes to decide about those 10 minutes. It should take us 20 <laughs> minutes to decide, look, a vote for Trump in a contested state, I mean, a vote that goes anywhere other than to Clinton in a contested state is a vote for Trump, and we don't want that. So we won't do that, so we'll vote for Clinton in contested states. Now let's let's do something with our real desires and our real energies, and what can we do? Well, Bernie Sanders is is proposing an organization called Our Revolution, yes. by the name. Um, so this organization is called Our Revolution, and 
in a couple of weeks, I think it is. It'll have a big announcement and and become even more visible than it already is. But it's been announced and it's known and it exists. But there's no indication so far of what it would look like, of what its structure would be, of how it would operate, and of what its program would be. Well, all the Sanders supporters, um, myself included, all the people who have been who, who hoped to see Sanders win the nomination, now have something even more important to focus on. The creation of lasting organization to fight, not for somebody in office, but for actual policies that we want. So that's where our energy should be going. It should be a 20-minute a, a decision, okay, I'll vote for Clinton in a contested state, I'll vote for Stein, or I'll do whatever it is I want to do in a safe state. But where I'm going to really... What my thought yes. is, what do I want our, gender, our, our revolution to be? Right. And where I'm going to put my energy is in trying to get our revolution to be that and in trying to work with it to win new policies. Now, that makes sense, I think. Absolutely. I suspect it's what Sanders wants, yeah, I hope. I'm sure. Uh, and we'll see. We will see about it. When, when we take it, you know, democracy, as they say, is not a spectator sport. It takes a little bit of effort. And people have felt powerless for so long. You know, the, the powers that be like us to feel powerless. Well, one of the things about the Bernie revolution thus far is showing that, hey, guess what? We are not powerless. We really are not powerless. We made some real uh, difference here and shook things up quite a bit. Is it over? Heck no, but we have a lot more work to do. Katrina Vanden Heuvel, editor of The Nation, has long argued that the Democratic Party is up for grabs, that we liberals can take it back from those who hijacked it in the 1990s. Do you think it's uh, essential to build an alternative to the two-party duopoly or is the structure of the Democratic Party such that it can be something that we can effectively make use of? I don't think we really know the answer to that. Ah. It's clear that we can make use of it because Sanders just did. Yeah. But anybody who says you can't do that, you can't make use of it, is simply blind. Sanders just used the Democratic Party to push the discussion in the United States and people's awareness in the United States dramatically. More dramatically, I dare say, than the Green Party has achieved in decades. Oh, yeah. And then, in many respects, um, other left and progressive projects have achieved. So you can use the Democratic Party to have an effect. Can you win uh, in the Democratic Party? Can you actually get the presidency? Can you do it without the process corrupting um, yourself and the whole apparatus and movement that you generate? That's an open question. Hmm. That isn't clear. One indicator is going to be, okay, what does Sanders try to make our revolution be? Is he going to try and make it a grassroots-based, uh, um, um, uh, neighborhood and workplace-based democratic organization which generates program and which fights for it militantly and effectively while also fighting for um, new candidates to win office and to um, help our revolution seek those ends. Okay, that's one scenario. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that would be very desirable, I think. Incredibly desirable. I expect Another it. scenario is, is that he fights for it to be a mechanism to uh, basically um, 
um, preserve the fundraising capacity that he developed with his campaign for uh, other candidates, but nothing more than that. That would not be so good. It would be better than if those candidates weren't getting support, because he supports, you know, relatively better candidates. But it would be a far cry from the first thing I suggested. The second would sort of manifest the logic of campaigning for office in a major party. It would be what you would expect from somebody um, who who went through the process and the, and the dynamics that Sanders has gone through and who has to deal with the Senate and so on. Can he rise above that? I don't know. If he proposes the worst model, just funding Democratic Party candidates with no real activism and no real grassroots activity and no democracy, et cetera, et cetera, will he then give in to pressure from Sandernisters, from people who wanted the Sanders who was talking about a political revolution, and go with them? Will he, in other words, respond to the pressure he says he wants? Don't know that either, but he might, and that would be more than enough. That would be very, very desirable. And I th- These things are still to be determined sure. and are far, far, far more important than hassling endlessly over whether or not it makes sense to vote for Clinton in contested states, which it certainly does, and it's trivially easy to arrive at that, or it hmm. should be anyway. Um, this other thing is the place where our real creative energies are needed. That's for sure. It takes, I mean, it's about grassroots, democracy. You know, you have to participate. It takes a long time of heavy lifting. People give up on it, but it is worth it. One listener posed this question, and I think I know your response. If Hillary wins, the Democratic machine will just roll on, crushing any possibility of progressive reform for the next four or eight years. Your reaction? I think that makes no sense to say that. Will they oppose um, the kind of progressive and radical uh, uh, thrust um, uh, efforts that I would like to see happen? Of course they will. That's their job. Um, Of course they will. But does that mean that we have to lose? No. Look, under Bush, we had resistance and dissent. Under Obama, we had resistance and dissent. Look back and see which is the resistance and the dissent that had more potential. Is it Occupy, Black Lives Matter, and Sanders? Or was it fighting against, you know, drifting further into the past under Bush? It's the latter. I mean, it's the former. It's the, it's the reaction to, to Obama, which had more potential, more positive potential. And the same thing is true uh, with Clinton as compared uh, to Trump. We, we, we sort of uh, have dealt with that question a few times, I think. Yeah. Um, and, but you're right, it keeps coming up. No matter how many times you deal with it, uh, people keep raising it in varied forms. I honestly think that the reason people keep raising all these things in varied forms uh, it's just because they are so heartsick, understandably, so disturbed, understandably, to have to or to feel they have to, yeah. uh, you know, put that checkbox in front of a war criminal. Clinton. Yeah. Uh, they'd rather not vote. They'd rather vote for Stein. I okay. I'd rather not vote. I'd rather vote for Stein. But just because that's my rather doesn't mean it's what I do. Mm-hmm. It comes down to a contested state. Uh, but again. The real place to put our energy 
if we want to ward off Clinton um, uh, not responding to and, in fact, weakening and trying to disempower progressive efforts is uh, an effort to build a movement, to build structures that can keep those progressive efforts going and vastly enlarge them. That's the place to put our creative energy. And we don't have the image now of Bernie Sanders, you know, to gather it around, but it's still happening. And, and people know who Bernie Sanders is. It has to happen very widely, very thoroughly, and it's going to take a lot of effort. Michael Albert, thanks so much for being with us. What website, if people are interested in following Z Magazine, uh, what website can you point them to? Well, you, you can look up Z Magazine or ZNet on Google, in case you don't want to remember the URL. I'll give you in a second. Um, and that's an easy way to do it. So ZNet is really the name of the global overarching website. Z Magazine is a monthly magazine that we do. Um, the uh, the URL is www.zcomm. That's for Z Communications, sort of the parent organization of all the stuff we do, .org. But again, you can just look up Z Magazine or ZNet or um, you could even look up my name or the name of lots of other writers, and it would take you to the site. Uh, well, thank so you so not, much. It's not really hard to find. No, thank you so much. It does, of course, like everything, take a little bit of effort. Michael Albert, and uh, it's good to uh, have some sense of optimism, and I think it's realism as well. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, doing our part to keep democracy alive. Thank you. Well, well I thank you for having me. We're gonna reap what we have sown. 